Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. The Freshman Foundation Podcast is preparing young athletes and families for every next step in their athletic journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share with a friend. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Freshman Foundation. How is Bill Ekstrom helping coaches and administrators look in the mirror? Coaches and administrators are a vital part of the student-athlete experience. They often create the conditions for young athletes to thrive or falter. While most athletic leaders have the best interests of their young people at heart, they may not always know how to execute on creating the ideal environment. My guest in this episode, Bill Ekstrom, is the Chief Executive Officer of XL Sports, an organization that is laser-focused on advancing the student-athlete experience. XL Sports advises coaches and athletic directors on how to improve that experience through a research-based approach. In episode 53, Bill shares how his own experiences inspired him to help coaches and administrators create a better experience for their student-athletes. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Bill Ekstrom. Hey, Bill, how are you doing? Mike, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. Uh, It's great to have you. It's great to see you. Um, And I'm looking forward to having this conversation. So, you know, before we we hit record, you know, I was was saying that, you know, I watched a little bit of your most recent TED talk, TEDx talk in Reno, and I, I couldn't, you know, help but be impressed by the way you opened the talk, which was talking about a personal experience you had as an athlete and your relationship or the experience you had with coaches at the time. Could you maybe just start out by sort of, you know, recounting that story? Because I think it's a good framework for this conversation. Uh, oh, boy. Um, <laughs> hmm. going to bring up my mic. get shivers here thinking about it. Um, it, it. You know, it's funny, Mike. Nobody's ever asked me about this and uh, to, to start that TEDx talk with this story. Um, it's the first time I've ever really opened up about this, but, uh, my dream as a kid was to be Bart Starr, you know, Green Bay Packers quarterback, uh, it kind of tells you how old I am, uh, if anybody knows that name. <laughs> um, but, uh, I had a lot of amazing experiences as a starting quarterback. Uh, I just, that was just what I did. I just expected. And anyway, if I got to um, a program a year, which back then would have, I supposed to have been able to select football. It was, you know, uh, tryout teams. And uh, I had a shoulder injury that summer. And I was afraid to, to tell anybody about that injury. Uh, number one, I didn't want it to uh, prevent me from playing quarterback. A, B, you know, if I was raised in an environment where if you're hurt, you just suck 
sucked it up and played. Uh, long short of it was it prevented me from throwing the ball like more than 10 yards. <laughs> I, looking back, I'm sure I had a rotator uh, cuff tear. But anyway, what happened was the coaches never even asked. They didn't inquire. They didn't care if all they could see, and I mentioned this in talk, all they could see was a quarterback who could not bring them victories. It's all they wanted was to win, win, win. I understand the desire to win. I love to win too. Um, but in doing so emotionally, they just tore me apart. You know, if they called me an embarrassment, um, told me I wasn't going to be, uh, I wasn't even invited to play offense anymore. Uh, you know, had me leave practice. Um, and, and none of this was for lack of effort. It was just for lack of the ability to execute. And, uh, it was, Probably one of the greatest also motivators I had in my life, especially to start the businesses that I now um, mm-hmm. have started and am CEO of, uh, the, one of the most recent being the sports division of what we do. Yeah, it's <clears throat> I, 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 I certainly can relate to the story that you told and that you just sort of recounted on a number of levels, because if I think back to my own playing days uh, as a football player, I had a number of injuries that I never reported to coaches because I was afraid that I would either not play or I would be considered, you know, letting to be letting the team down. So I just did it. Right. So that that's, that's the one thing, but on a professional level, right. There's this just fundamental um, concept of the coach athlete relationship that I tend, I I consider myself a student of, right. I'm curious about that relationship specifically, and maybe not dissimilar from any other relationships, right. In our lives, you know, relationships are based on trust, but coach athlete is certainly one that's unique in a lot of ways. So like, can you, can you talk about like what you do, um, to study that at, at the Excel Institute? Sure. Um, and, and thank you for asking that question, Mike. We are really all we're about on the sports division is is understanding that student athlete coach dynamic. We refer to it as the student athlete experience, which mm-hmm. everybody who's probably going to be listening to this has heard that term before. Um, and what was really interesting to us is when we were kind of drawn into the world of athletics with our work and our work forever on the business side, we have quantified uh, a leader's impact on the growth and performance of their teams in the business world. Um, we were asked to bring our work and, and apply it to the world of sports, uh, as specifically as it relates to coaching um, and the uh, student athlete dynamic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being a research-based organization, our uh, our executive director for research started doing a series of focus groups with athletic directors and coaches, and players and students, and um, and then she did a one. We did one-on-one conversations with professional athletes, and so we did a lot of due diligence. What was interesting to us, Mike, is uh, when we did focus groups with. ADs and um, and coaches. Now, this is at the high school level uh, that we did most of these focus groups. Other conversations with professional athletes, but 80 focus groups, coaches were at the high school level. 
And um, the ADs and coaches both said unequivocally the most important um, most important item in their world was to make sure their student athletes had the best possible experience in high school. Mm-hmm. Coaches said the same thing. We asked about winning. That's down a ways. Don't, they love to win. They get it. They understood it. Coaches ranked it higher. But ADs and coaches both agreed the most important thing to them was making sure their student-athletes had the best possible experience. So then the the, the follow-up question that Stacia, um, our director of research, asked, she said, can you tell me if that is happening? And both focus groups just got dead quiet, Mike. I mean, right. they, they looked at each other and they looked at us and said, I don't know. Right. We hope they are, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so basically that she paraphrased, she said, let me, let me make sure I understand the most important thing to you as a coach or an athletic director is to make sure your student athletes have a great experience, but nobody can tell me whether or not that is happening. And they all agreed that none of them knew. Yeah. So that was our segue. That was our, and what we do then is if we, survey student athletes, coaches, administrators to get a science-based look and to, to be able to actually quantify mm-hmm. the experience student athletes have. Right. And then we report that back to coaches, ADs, and whoever. You know, right. Yeah. I mean, when you were saying that, sort of the, the light bulb went off for me, which is to say, right, one, you can, you, you can, have an agreement or an understanding that this is the most important thing, but how you measure and define that can vary greatly across a population, right? Like, you know, it's easy to say like, Hey, we want the best experience for the student athlete, but what does that mean? We need to be able to set a very clear understanding across all participants, right? Have a consensus about this is what it looks like. This is what we need to do. And this is how we need to measure it to make sure they're getting that. Otherwise, you know, you could all have an agreement, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the results you want. Yeah, Mike, that's that's great. That's a great point. You know, if I, I, when you think about it, it's somewhat silly. It'd be like asking a basketball coach, hey, what's the most important role for your point guard? And they may say assists. Right. Oh, great. How many assists do they average? Well, I don't know. No way. They would never say that, right? Because they study and analyze and know and are able to track what's most important to success in the position. But mm-hmm. when it comes to coaching, the most important thing they said top down was the experience, but yet none of them quantified it. Yeah. So that was that was our, okay, that's what we're going to do. If that is that important to you, we will learn to quantify that. And so you, you go through steps like, you know, un, uh, you have to define what the student athlete experience means. Mm-hmm. And so you got to put definitions to things and then, then you go about measuring. So, right. So, so as I understand it, your audience constituency client base is schools, right? Administrators, coaches, et cetera, right. Who are making those decisions and sort of, you know, executing that experience for the student athlete. So how would you characterize 
the receptivity of that audience, <clears throat> excuse me, when you go to, to, to sort of speak to them and explain what you do, like, what's the, what, what do you hear? I mean, I'm sure it varies, but like, what's the sort of general sentiment from, from those people that you're talking to? Uh, another great question, Mike, it's, it's well-received. And the reason why, and this is what I love about working in the world of athletics versus mm -hmm. business. Don't get me wrong. Love the business side. Right. Been doing it for over a decade. Um, but what's amazing about the athletic world is several things. Number one, uh, especially at the high school level, you, coaches and athletic directors, <laughs> I'll just be blunt, they're not in it for the money. Right. They're in it for the love and, and the purity in, in this in, of, the, of, of sports, of athletics. And more importantly, by and large, again, I'm going to put 90-some percentile. They care most about the kids. Mm -hmm. They really do. Yeah. And so when you when we have conversations around the student-athlete experience, never do I hear an athletic director or a coach say, nah, no interest. I don't care about that. Yeah. They always want to know more about it. Um now, whether they do things or not, because here's the rub. To report back to an athletic director, um, and this we could open a big can of worms here, uh, how well their coaches are impacting the experience of the student athletes. You know, there's some onus then, Mike, on the AD to do something about something it. about it, right? Exactly, especially yeah. if if. It's if the impact isn't what it should be, or right. it's a negative impact, right? right? So, so it's easier now, to, to to not know than it is to know because now, <laughs> right? It's ex you nailed it. Sometimes I would just do not know because I know I have problems. Now, rarely do we get uh, when an AD get a report back on a coach where they're like stunned, you right. know, maybe through parents, through student athletes, through observation, mm -hmm. they pretty much know. Um, but now when you got a piece of paper that says your coach, uh, let's just say your volleyball coach mm -hmm. has, uh, only four out of 10 of their 40% of their student athletes believe they have a trust connection with their coach. Now as an AD, I should do something with that. Sure. As a coach, I would I, I would want to do something with that. Yeah. So it it sometimes what we're, we we like to use the term Mike. Um, there's a gap between intellectual understanding and emotional readiness to act. Yep. Uh, and we all have it. it it's all that sure. sometimes that that gap, or perhaps it's a chasm, depending on the person. Yeah. It's the, it's the change, pro it's the change process, right? It, it's any decision that we make that we want to change something. We have to be motivated enough to go ahead and do something about it. And we may not be ready to do that just yet, but it takes time sometimes to get to the point where you're ready to pull that trigger and say, okay, I need to do something about this. Well, yeah. I mean, you're a psychologist, my goodness. Mm -hmm. You understand how, how we, you know, we go through, right. We, we have a stimulus and then we have an emotional response to it and the response creates a behavior and the behavior creates something right yep an action uh, uh you know and yeah. 
And it is. So <clears throat> every AD says it's important and agrees. Um, now, there are a few out there, and I don't know if you ran into them, uh, where they're perhaps more old school and they don't want the student athlete to have a voice. Okay. So <clears throat> I, I, I no, but I, but that's where I was going to go next because I don't know if I have any specific examples, but, but that concept, right? Like I'm thinking about what you do first, which is to say, I would imagine at some level, if you start to work with a, a school, there's going to be a survey process with the student athlete. Is that correct? Correct. Right. So if, if I'm an athletic director or a coach, just by virtue of giving a kid a survey to give their opinion, you've already started to build that bridge because you're giving them a say, right? It, even if it's just perceived, even if they take that survey and they throw it in the garbage, the kid says at least, Hey, I'm able to just, you know, give my opinion because what I experience in, in the work that I do is when I work with a kid, even at, at high school or college level where they're, you know, they're pretty mature, relatively speaking. And I ask them to give me feedback or I say to them, Hey, this is your process. Like ask me questions like, or tell me I need to do something different. Or, you know, if you're not getting what you need, let me know. That is a very uncomfortable place for a student athlete because my sense is they rarely ever get that from their coaches, right? Mm -hmm. It's I'm the coach. You're the athlete. I tell you what to do and you do it. Or there's the perception that I can't go to the coach because I don't want to be perceived a certain way as the athlete. So I keep quiet, sort of like what you were saying about your injury, right? I'm going to keep it to myself because I don't want my coach to think something's wrong with me. So I'm just going to right, not say anything. And I think that that dynamic, that ability to communicate and to give the student athlete a voice is so critical in the athletic experience because to use a, a term that you, you know, I think you, you, I get the sense that's really important to you and your work is psychological safety, right? To have that psychological safety, to go to that person who's supposed to be caring for you and be able to tell them what you need and not feel like you're going to be punished for it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, it, it is. And there, I mean, there's so many <laughs> examples, so many places we can go with this, but yeah. If, to give someone a voice in their own development, yeah. to give someone a voice in how they want to be treated, um, to give to, to give someone a voice to let them know that perhaps I don't like the way I'm being treated. Mm -hmm. Now, if, let me preface this all by saying, while we measure psychological safety, we measure trust connections mm -hmm. we also measure challenge because we're big believers in coaches ability to create healthy discomfort as well sure because growth only occurs in those excuse me in those environments but you'll notice how i put the term with the word healthy in front of discomfort Right. Because you can, as my coach, Mike, you can create discomfort for me by through fear. Now, take you back to my previous coaches, right? Uh, Fear-based coaching. I can be uncomfortable and I can grow as a result, but it doesn't mean I'm going to have a great experience mm -hmm. as well. So we don't, 
we're not believers in this big group hug, kumbaya, love fest right. that mm-hmm. doesn't create tension. Mm-hmm. We're believers in trust. We're believers in psych safety. We're believers in connections as the foundation from which then you will have earned the right as a coach to push, to challenge, to make me uncomfortable, to help me grow. Yep. And it's quite frankly, it's got to go in that order as well, too. So by giving me a voice, I'm telling you, I'm helping you as a coach, I'm helping an athletic director as an administrator understand where I'm at in that journey and where the coach is at in that journey. Mm -hmm. Together, we can create some amazing growth and development in coaches Mm -hmm. that wasn't there before. Because while student athletes, I mean, think about this. I mean, boy, I can get on a roll right now. Um, You know, I've I've done work at the collegiate level with athletes. um, And say a gymnast can, during a workout, get off of a routine, an apparatus, right? Mm -hmm. And immediately watch it and get graded immediately, right? Mm -hmm. On how well she did. Uh, and can then turn around and go back and with coach feedback as well as just video feedback, I know what I can do to improve. How does a coach do that? How does a coach know? What are those things we're giving to coaches that allow them the Mm -hmm. same opportunity to grow that they expect from their student athletes every single day? Mm -hmm. That's really what we need. That's really interesting. Because, you know, not at the level you're doing at it, but, you know, I have, again, I'm just a generally a curious person, but in my professional world, I'm very curious about coach education, right? Because in the United States, just take as an example, right? We don't have any really national centralized bodies for coaching or or federations, right? Maybe soccer, but that's about it. Or USA hockey, but there's very few, right? It's very decentralized. And what ends up happening is that the standards are different all over the place, right? And so like coaches don't have to get education. They just show up and go to their job. They don't have to do professional development if they don't want to in a lot of cases, or maybe they're getting the wrong kind of coaching. Maybe they need a psychological and emotional coaching versus tactical and technical, right? There's a deficiency there, right? Like they need to get better too, so they can be better for the people that they're serving. I think that that's really important. So do you, I mean, I guess, I mean, now I'm really curious about the work that you do. I mean, in terms of that, is it just giving those organizations, the schools, the administrators, the information, or do you do some sort of programming on the back end of that? We, if we do, uh, my programming on the back end, if it, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't feel good about, Hey, um, here's what you do. Well, you're a great communicator. You're great at mm-hmm. challenging. You're good at developing their skills. Um, but you're creating poor psychological safety and you, um, your, your connection with your student athletes is average at best that, you know, have fun, go at it, go get them tiger. Right. Uh, <laughs> Right. So, you know, we, we have created an online learning portal through a learning management system that has everything from kind of a community aspect to it. So they can communicate with other coaches across the country, um, as well as formalized training. Like, how do I create greater psychological safety right. within my team? What is it that I can do as a coach to improve my connection with my athletes Mm -hmm. and in psych safety. So when we look at 
relationship, for example, um, the relationship between coach and, and student athlete, we break that down into two, two pieces, psych safety and trust-based connections. Mm-hmm. Those typically, not typically, if I would say across the board, and we've measured now probably over half a million interactions between coaches and student athletes, those two, Mike, psych safety and trust connections are the lowest scores that coaches get. Yeah. One's in the 60-some percentile, the other's in the 71st percentile. Um, and that's always, those two are always the one where co- kick, catches a coach off guard. You know, yeah. they, they, they think, oh, yeah, I love, my, I love my athletes. And they do. They care right. about them deeply. But they just don't, the athletes don't know it. Right. So what I, what I find fascinating about that or, or is really interesting to me because of the work that I do. See, I coach it from the other side, which is to say, hey, young person, yes, your coach is the grown up. Yes, you trust them. Yes, you expect them to serve and take care of you as a coach. But, right, you have to understand that there's one coach or three coaches and there's 50 of you. And that coach has another job, potentially, has other responsibilities, has a family, blah, blah, blah. There's only so much bandwidth to go around, right? So even if your coach loves you, he may not have the time, the energy, or the information that he needs to serve you. So, athlete, you need to learn empathy for your coach, and you need to take at some level responsibility for yourself, meaning if you're not getting what you need... Now you need to go ask for it, which is, I can tell you is highly uncomfortable for the athlete because it's so unusual. But what I usually hear from my athletes is when I get to a a place where I have a student athlete who comes to me and I've had a couple at the division one college level, like come to me and I'm like, listen, you know, your coach has got a lot going on. I said, what would it be like to go talk to your coach about your issue? "I, I don't know. I don't know. We walk, talk through it. They go to have the conversation and then they come back and I say, how did it go? And they say, well, I didn't hear exactly what I wanted to hear, but they universally feel the same thing. What do you think that is? Mm -hmm. What do you think they feel? Yeah. What do you think they feel? I I apologize. So how how does the coach feel about? How does the student, the student athlete goes to the coach and says, I am having this issue or I'm I'm trying to understand why coach you're doing what you're doing. Why aren't I playing or whatever? Mm -hmm. And the student athlete comes back to me and says, I didn't hear exactly what I wanted to, but now I know like, what's that? What do you think the feeling is that they all say they feel? Uh, Well, it's probably relief, probably hurt. Relief. They're all relieved right now. I'm not, I didn't love what the coach said to me, but at least I know exactly where I stand. Right. And that sort of goes back to what you're talking about, right? If the coaches are letting those athletes know where they stand, whether good, bad, or otherwise, it creates that healthy discomfort of like, Hey, I love you, but these are the things that you need to do to get better. And I'll help you do that. Now, all of a sudden you've created this dialogue with the athlete, like, Hey, like I see you and, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but like, this is what you need to do. And this is how we're going to help you. Right. That's to me, that's the essence of good coaching. And I think that the communication piece is really the thing that gets missed, right? Communication is typically not very good for whatever reason. So I, uh, I'll, I'll let you pick up there. No, it, it um, 
I, I loved your story because for a lot of reasons, uh, everybody has ownership in, in development. Uh, you know, I ask coaches all the time who owns their development, you know, just generally. And, and they'll always say, well, we own our own development. Right. But you also have to walk away and say, well, that's true. But yeah, I still own my, the, the development of my kids too. Right. Sure. Even though my job in their development is to help them understand they own their development. Right. But, right. you know, it, 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 similarly, I was working with a, um, a, a D1 female athlete who had mentioned something about, you know, G Bill, you, you've told me, you know, how big relationships are. You've, I've heard you talk about how I have to have a connections with my coach and get to know them. They, and they have to get to know me. Right. Mm -hmm. And the coach had admonished her for something, a series of things. And she was so angry. He doesn't know me. He's not gotten to know me. How dare he come down on me like this, you know, knowing that, he should be connecting with me first before he does that. And my response is like yours. I just said, so you understand how important connections are. You don't right, Bill. I do. So you're going to blame him. Now you're a victim. What can you do? Right. Make this what, what, how much of this do you own? And that was, I, I don't think it was the answer she thought she was going to get, you know, right. at right. the time in the moment, but it made her stop in her tracks and say, Oh, 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 okay. So I can go, I have onus in this as well. And yeah. so we need Mike through your work and through our, we need to continue mm -hmm. to attack the growth of both sides yes. in a healthy way. We yes. can't be just student athletes. We can't be just coaches. We can't be just administration. Everybody has a responsibility Mm -hmm. to get involved and to develop. And, I, and I'm sure you believe this too, all growth. And I tell coaches this all the time. You want your team to get better. You want your team to grow. You want your team to evolve. Go home and first look in the mirror. Because how they respond, you're the biggest trigger in their life. And the response to your triggers, you know, is either creating growth or not creating growth. So you want you want more growth, go home and look in the mirror and say, how are you going to evolve? Mm -hmm. Because if you do that first, it also sets the table for your student athletes. Yeah, exactly. Right. <clears throat> I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's, it's a really, I love the conversation because I think it's just so, it's so important. And as I, as you were talking, I'm thinking about like, what does it mean? Right. <clears throat> what does it mean for a student athlete to have a good experience? It means really at the end of the day that they continue on in sport. Because if they're not having a good experience, they're going to quit, right? And so it's up to the, not only the coaches, right? And, and we're not going to really get into the side of it, but it's also the parents are a function of that, right? They create the, the motivational climate or they help to create it like the coaches do so that the kid wants to continue to grow. They want to get better, right? Like in the TED Talk, you were talking about like, Winning is important because it's important to kids. Kids want to win. They want to get the results back and the feeling of winning back from all the effort that they put in, right? So winning is important to them, right? But growing, getting better is important, right? Having a good time is important. All those things factor into the experience and the, and the motivation to continue on. And we all have a responsibility 
in that, to your point, right? We're all coaches, parents, administrators, the athlete, everyone's got a stake in it. And I think if those things are communicated clearly and, and, and properly upfront, that that maximizes the chances of success on the back end, right? It doesn't guarantee it necessarily because right. life is life, but it maximizes the chances of success. And if we can get to a place where everybody's on the same page in agreement, which I'm imagining your work does, right? If somebody brings you in, if some school brings you in and says, hey, come do this. Now, all of a sudden, like you said, you kind of open up this dialogue for how do we get better? And now what do we need to do? You're almost sort of like starting from scratch again. Like let's let's really like get this to a place where we want it to be, right? Like, like t- tell me about a success story that you've had. Like, I, you know, you don't have to name names, but like, can you give oh, me an example? There have been, we, we've had so many wonderful, uh, I, I'm trying to think, there's, I've, I've seen coaches um, make significant changes and really positively impact mm-hmm. uh, the student athletes. And I've seen same coaches tank it. Hmm. Uh, I've seen coaches that just are at a high level all the time that they're, they just are so in tune with the kids that they're coaching mm-hmm. of and the, 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 the things that are written about them, the things, that, the way the kids respond to them, it, you know, they're life changing when the kid, when the kids are writing on, on this, we give them the upper, opportunity to just, Hey, anything else you'd like to share. And when the kids write on there, yeah, when I get older, I want to be just like her. If I ever become a coach, I would coach exactly the way he coaches me. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy has changed my life. Those are the things that when you focus on the athlete experience and not winning, winning is an outcome. It's a measuring stick. I said this in the TED Talk. It's you not did. good. It's not, it, is, it is what it is. It's an outcome, right? Uh, it, it's it's a goal, and it's healthy to have those things in place. But you can't control the wins. You can control all the prep that comes up before it. And so, if coaches, you know, we it, it, they tell athletes all the time. I know they do. Which is, hey, all we can control is how hard we practice. All we control is our effort, right? All those controllable things, right? Well, what about you, coach? What are you controlling? And if coaches focused on providing the best possible experience. What we see in the business world is that the team that reports to that leader, the people that report to that leader, give the most amount of discretionary effort. We're seeing the same things. We're continuing to do research on this. Same same thing in the world of sport. If you provide me, Mike, you're my coach. You know me as a person. You ask about my life outside of the sport. I know you care about me beyond the sport. You challenge me. You you love me, but man, you push me, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you more effort than I would most coaches. I'm going to give you that, yep. what we refer to as discretionary effort. Yep. And so if you want more wins, quit focusing on wins and start focusing on the experience because you're going to get more from me than you would otherwise. Yes. And I think you said it in the TED talk and this is something, and, and I don't, I'm paraphrasing and maybe if I get this wrong, you could correct me, but 
<clears throat> you talk sort of about that idea of discretionary effort. And I think the irony of it is this, is that if you create the environment for the athlete to choose and you put the focus on that, the wins will come. That That's my personal opinion. That's not science. That's, that's what I believe, right? If you create the environment for the athlete to thrive and to be happy and to play hard and to love the experience, that's when you get the wins. When you put the focus on the wins, now all of a sudden it becomes this spotlight on the athlete to be perfect because the only thing that's going to be acceptable is a win. Now I can't screw up because if I do, I'm a failure, right? And so it's almost like this sort of, you know, this, uh, you know, paradox. It's like, it's very, it, it's so interesting. And I think coaches do focus on the wins and losses because it's tangible. It's tangible. It's accepted, yada, yada, yada. But when you do that, like you said in the talk, which I loved and it's, it's common sense, but it makes it, people don't think about it this way is 98, eight, 99% of coaches end the season with a loss, right? So does that make your season a failure? In my book, it doesn't, right? Did you get better? Did you, you know, maybe you lost the last game or maybe you did the best you could with what you had. Maybe you outperformed your talent, whatever it is. A good coaching job is not solely based on wins and losses. It can't be because then we'd only have one good coach and hundreds of crappy ones. Right, because 98% of their teams lose their last game of the season. (laughs) Exactly. So it's ridiculous to base success solely on that. Um, and, and you're right. That was that that was part of my talk. Yeah, if, to con, to convince a coach, which I did, I, I had the ability to do to convince a coach to spend less time in the gym working on skills and drills, and spend more time away from the gym, creating stronger relationships, working on a healthy mindset, improved team dynamics. Yeah, resulted in. No parent issues, more wins, school record for wins, right? All those things in place. When when we quit focusing on them, wow! What right. Well, I think I think you've put your finger on something that I see quite a bit of, which is like in my work, right? Like either when it's when it's been with a team, or when it's with an individual. Either doesn't matter, but there's this really. What's the right word? There's just reluctance to put aside physical training, skill development, practice, court time, field time, aside for, hey, I'm going to work on the mental stuff. And the way I try to frame it is like, listen, if you're a college athlete, you're spending 20, 30, 40 hours a week on your sport. All I'm asking for you to do is spend 45 minutes with me in a session and spend another 15 to 30 minutes outside of it working on some other stuff. So one hour versus 30. Most kids, when I ask them, how much mental work do you do? And you could probably get the same answer from a coach is how much mental work do you do is zero, right? How much time do you spend on your, on your sport? Like physically gazillion hours. Does that make sense? Right. Like at this point you've put in so many hours and it's, there's, there's automaticity built in. And I think you sort of alluded to that, right? This is automaticity. You've played so much basketball, soccer, football, hockey, you name it, you know how to do it, right? What's the marginal return of another hour, you know, practicing your dribbling. But what if you put an hour practicing on, you know, working on the team dynamics or your mindset or, you know, your, your breathing or whatever it is, that's not specifically related to being on the court, the marginal return on that is through the roof. But mm-hmm. like it's, 
there's so much, I think we live in such a fear-based, like risk-averse world, right? We want to do what we know is tangible and has proven success. When you do something that's maybe a little bit more abstract or different, everybody's like, well, why am I wasting my time? And nobody has the patience or the curiosity a lot of times to try this stuff because they feel like it's not giving me an immediate return, which is which is a shame. It, it, you're right, Mike. And um, it, it's... <laughs> It gets back to the intellectual understanding and emotional readiness. Yes. Uh, even even a, it, when you walk through the the psychology of sport, right? The psychology of performance, the mental mm-hmm. game. There are very few coaches, I think, that would say it's not important. As a matter of fact, uh, yeah. I think many would say the closer you get to the actual performance itself, the game, the match, whatever it may be, you know, if I'm a figure skater, whatever, the amount, the the shift from technical work, skill work to mindset work should begin to shift. Um, And if I, there's a sports psych up, does work Canadian Olympic team up in Canada. His name's Dr. Peter Jensen. I'm paraphrasing this, but it was in his, his book. And uh, he shared this with me. He's a wonderful man. But uh, as they get, you know, like a week out, uh, coaches sh- should are thinking this probably, you know, um, uh, how was it? Uh, three, three hours, three days, 30 days, you know, three uh, that three hours out from the competition. They believe it's probably 90, 10 coaches say 90 percent at that point, mental 10 percent physical. Mm. And yet when asked to analyze the conversations with their athletes as a coach, it's 90% technical and physical and only 10% mental, you know, they just, they have a hard time making the shift. So intellectually they get it, but it's what they know. It's what they grew up with. You and I didn't grow up with sports psych. Nope. Nope. And and I, I think, you know, to some of it, you know, to not to, and and I'm not going to go down this road, but I think the word that comes to mind when you describe that is control, right? It's a lot easier to control the physical, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm in a stressful situation where I'm about to go out and compete in the competition of my life, I want a sense of control because my emotions are probably all over the place. My thoughts are all over the place, but if I can control what's going on around me by doing exactly what I know how to do automatically, it's going to make me feel more comfortable rather Mm -hmm. than sort of leaning into the emotion or leaning into the thinking of, wow, this is really hard. Like, how am I going to deal with it? Like people want to run away from that. And I think that's just, I mean, unfortunately that's just normal. I think it's human nature. Our brains are wired that way. And, and to go back to the conversation for coaches is it's the same for them, right? It's the same for them. They want to feel comfortable. They want to be in control coaches and they want to be able to like do what makes you know, what they feel is comfortable for them. They don't want to try new things, but I think what I would hypothesize, and and you have probably have a better sense of this than I do. The ones who are curious about what it takes to get better are typically the best coaches. Meaning like, I, I want to know what I could be doing better. I want to know what I'm not doing well. I want to understand what you're Bill doing, what Mike, what you do. I want to understand from all these people who know better than me in these subject matter areas, like tell me what I could be doing better. Those are the coaches, the the Nick Sabins of the world and the Belichicks. These guys, like they're, they're going out and they're trying to bring the best into their 
programs because they don't, they know they don't know everything. They know football, but they don't know mm-hmm. all these other things. And I think the coaches who think they know everything or don't want to know or aren't curious are the ones that are going to flatline eventually. Yeah, I, I, I do agree. And um, if we haven't studied the personality types of, yeah. of those kinds of coaches. But to your point, when I think, you know, coast to home, down the road, a guy by the name of John Cook, who's the University of Nebraska women's volleyball coach. He's the winningest coach in the country since, yep. I think, 2000 or 2005, whenever he came. But anyway... Um, there's a period of time and and he talks about it in his book, 2013, 14 ish, where his teams were not performing to the level he thought they should, Mm -hmm. meaning that they were getting beat in the elite eight (laughs) instead of making it to the final four. Right. right. But, but they weren't getting there. Uh, So he kind of stepped back away from his program and said, Hey, I, figured out the problem and the problem's me. <laughs> um, the girls have changed. They've evolved. Student athletes have evolved. I haven't. I still coach the exact same way I've always coached and shame on me. So if he brings in a retired Navy SEAL and um, my, and another friend of mine who's the sports psych I was telling you about and had him have these guys spent like two years with them. Wow. Helping him understand his gaps. He said, if I knew what they were, I'd fix them. Right. But I don't know. So I need so I need to know. I need to understand where my opportunities are. You know, since that time, beginning in 2015, I think Husker women's volleyball has only not made the Final Four twice. Wow. Something like that. So, yeah. It, Very cool. Those those people, the inquisitive ones, and, and who are willing to, to say – I know I'm the problem and I also know I'm the solution. Yeah. Yeah. They make, they, they make for great coaches. Yeah. Well, I, that, that, I, I, I I love that. Let me just say, I love that. And I'm curious about John Cook. I don't, I've never heard of him. I know a little bit about women's volleyball and Nebraska and, but I'm going to look into it more because I think that that's a great story. And so as we wrap up, I think it's a great segue to what I, what I usually ask is the last question. Okay. Um, and, 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 and it always, it always is basically the same, but it comes in different forms. So everybody gets the same one. So in your case, if you had to give one piece of advice to a coach or an AD who's out there listening about how they could best move their program forward or move their, their own development forward, what would that piece of advice be? Uh, I, I think two things. Uh, number one, and you already, you, through, through the question you answered it, is you, you, everybody wants their programs to get better, right? Whether I'm a, a freshman baseball coach or a Division One volleyball coach, they want to grow um, so number one, it starts with you. Mm-hmm. Don't look at your players. You can go home and you look in the mirror and say, what can I do better? Because everything from that point will trickle on. Same with you, athletic director. What can I do better? Are you coaching your coaches? Are you giving your coaches an opportunity to get better? Are you helping? Are you identifying what they're good at, what their opportunities for growth are? So, I don't care what level you're at. It begins with you, number one. And then another thing on top of that, 
don't ever us underestimate the power of trust connections. Um, too many coaches will tell you they, they, they love their athletes and they do, um, but they don't know how to show them they do. And I use the line all the time. I, you know, um, I can't teach a coach or an AD how to care, but I can teach you how to show you care. And so I think the second point is to then be intentional mm -hmm. about the connections and trust you create with the people on your teams. That's great. It's a great way to end. Bill, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. It was great to talk to you. I'm sure we could continue this conversation on for a while and maybe we'll have a chance to do it again in the future. But uh, thank you so much for joining me. Mike, thank you very much. It's been fun. Thank you. Take care. So what's your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Bill Ekstrom? My biggest takeaway is that all of us need coaching. We all have blind spots. It's often hard for us to see what we need to be doing differently to be our best. The same goes for coaches and administrators. My suggestions to coaches and administrators is to look in the mirror as Bill suggests. Try to answer this question as honestly as possible. Are you doing everything you can to create the best possible student athlete experience? If the answer is no, then think about what you can do differently to serve your student athletes better. I wanna thank Bill for his kind generosity and the wisdom he shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can learn more about Bill by visiting his personal website at BillExtrom.com. You can learn more about XL Sports by visiting XLSports.com. To learn how mental performance coaching can help your mind work for you rather than against you, visit MichaelVHuber.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back soon for episode 54. Mike Huber is the founder and owner a follow the ball coaching located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at the Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe, give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks, ready to get better.